Hello, this is Contractor Coffee Club Podcast presented by EGIA, and I'm your host, Mark Madison. This podcast is hosted on EGIA.org slash podcast, where you can also find links to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, along with an archive of all previous episodes, a submission form for our listener Q&A, and the link to take the latest EGIA snapshot survey. In today's episode, we're going to continue on with our discussion about goals and then segue into what I affectionately call the hour of power, how to make those goals happen in a fraction of the time. All of us need something to look forward to. Goals give us just that. In her extraordinary book, Grit, Angela Duckworth describes Warren Buffett's simple three-step goal achievement process. Number one, write down at least 25 career goals in your journal. Number two, circle the five highest priority goals. And three, take a good hard look at the other 20 you did not circle. These you avoid at all costs. They take your eye away from the goals that matter. He goes on to say, any successful person has to decide what to do in part by deciding what not to do. You need one internal compass. I was walking through the brand new state-of-the-art student center at the University of Louisville, preparing to deliver a team building seminar for the women's crew team. The head of facilities asked me if I needed anything. I entered her office and was introduced to two students, a young man and a young woman. I smiled and shook hands and then did a double take. Kelsey Worrell? How was Rio? You see, this young lady had just returned from the Olympics where her and her 4 by 100 medley relay team had won the gold medal. Kelsey Worrell, a four-time NCAA champion and Honda Cup award winner, is the first Louisville Cardinal to win a swimming medal of any color. In short, she's a golden Cardinal. I congratulated her on her success and asked her if she wouldn't mind answering some questions from the women's crew team for about, oh, 10 or 15 minutes she graciously agreed to. About halfway through my seminar, I introduced her and I lobbed a couple of easy questions to get her started. And from there, the questions flowed like Niagara Falls. It was a wonderful 20 minutes. She's so humble and kind. Here are the highlights. The first thing she talked about was teamwork. She was quick to point out how great her teammates were and that any success was the team's success. It's the window in the mirror principle. When it comes time to assume the credit, you look out the window. Give it away to your team. When it comes time to take the blame, look in the mirror. Journaling. She said she was proud to report she kept a journal all 36 days in Rio. It helped her capture the wins and the setbacks. She placed ninth in the solo race, provided her with objectivity, perspective, and recall. Intention. She set very specific short and long-term goals for herself. She visualized achieving those goals every day for years. She celebrated her wins to give her confidence and analyzed her temporary setbacks to gather up the lessons they provided. She was very focused. She possessed a burning desire to succeed. Hard work, sacrifice, reps, discipline. It meant giving up things that most women her age enjoy and take for granted. Delayed gratification. It was time in the pool every day, competing against the best in the country. You just have to put in the time every single day one day at a time, she said. You have to earn it, smiling as she recounted. Measure. Where performance is measured, performance improves. She knew exactly how many kicks per pool length were required. By measuring her progress, she was able to improve the little things that cut her time down. Gratitude. She shared that she knew it was a privilege to be in the Olympics and also said she knew she wasn't gonna be able to swim forever. 
All this is temporary, she said, so it's important to enjoy the journey. Soak it all in. She was genuinely thankful for the opportunity to compete at the highest level against the greatest athletes in the world. Faith. She's very spiritual and gave the credit to her mother for infusing the faith in God required to push through setbacks, frustrations, and injuries. She was so sincere and genuine, smiling constantly, yet with a large measure of humility and grace. It's clear she has an incredibly bright future ahead. I told her as much. In fact, I said, your future's so bright it burns my eyes. I thanked her for making the time, and the extraordinary women's crew team were pleasantly surprised by her impromptu Q&A. It added so much to our time together, and it was a wonderful reinforcement of the principles that I had been sharing, almost like an echo. The difference was the words and the principles were coming from a golden cardinal. So here's my question to you. And if you have a chance, if you're driving, obviously you won't be able to do this, but if you, if you have an opportunity to grab something to write with, preferably a journal, I'd like you to write down your five goals. What are five goals you'd like to accomplish over the next six to 12 months? Personal or professional, it doesn't matter. Just write down what comes to mind. Keywords, as fast as you possibly can. The secret is writing quickly. You can always go back and rewrite the goals later. Once you're done with that, then ask yourself a simple question. I ask audiences in seminars around the world this question. If you could only accomplish one of those five goals, which one would it be? That's number one. Write number one and put a circle around it and then prioritize the rest of the list. Two, three, four, five. Now take that single goal, turn the, if you're using a three by five card, which is what I do in my seminars, turn the card over and rewrite the goal as if it were already true. I am, I have, I enjoy, and then state it as if it were present tense. In fact, I call it the four Ps, personal, positive, powerful, and present tense. Now you're rewriting the goal as if it were already true. And the last step in the process is write down three to five reasons that you want it. You see, the first time I did this, I was in the eighth grade. I had just been cut from the basketball team at the junior high. Coach Kim Wilson decided I wasn't good enough. And frankly, in hindsight, I probably wasn't. But it was devastating. And you know, when something like that happens to you, one of two things happen. You get angry and you get to work or you quit. Well, I did the former. I approached a young man that, had, that went to our school that was the best player at our, at our junior high. And I asked him, his name was Kenny Christensen. I said, Kenny, how did you get so good? He said, I shoot two hours every day and I go to Bob Hubrig's basketball camp. So that's what I did. I earned the money to go to camp. I shot two hours every single day and abracadabra the following year I made the team. It was a magic day in my life, but the reason behind the goal the why was the driving force to prove Kim Wilson wrong. I ran into Kim years later, and I told him that story. And he said, hey, would you mind telling that story to a bunch of freshmen at the high school? So I did. Funny, isn't it? Jim Rohn said, discipline is the bridge between goals and accomplishment. See, first you work on goals, and they work on you. What are you looking forward to? That's a goal. So, uh... Let's see, Lucas. At this point, I think we talked about an announcement of some sort, an EGIA marketplace. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you know, the show, of course, is brought to us by uh, EGIA. And for contractors looking for an exclusive discount on vehicle fleet management services, website redesign, IAQ equipment, or any number of other products and services, EGIA Contractor Marketplace is the place for you. 
Contractor Marketplace offers members a wide variety of the best-in-class products and services needed to effectively and profitably get the most out of their contracting business. Product and service categories available include tools and equipment, business operations, administration, sales and marketing vehicles, and much, much more. So it is truly the easiest, most affordable way to run your business. Jesus, sounds like a sounds like the old swap meet or big yard sale. Absolutely. Like, what do you need? Newer products, though. Newer products. Um, oh, I, I, got also, you. I also wanted to ask you. Uh, I believe we uh, at EGIA we have a a webinar coming up entitled "Presenting Like a Pro" on April seventeenth. Do you know who is presenting that webinar? You know, I do. He's a personal friend of mine. Yeah, I'm doing that one. Uh, it's based on my ebook of the same title, "Presenting Like a Pro." That was um, that ebook was written. A number of years ago, I had a gentleman who's the number two guy at York at the time. He approached me and said, look, you know, I love the way you present. Is there any way you could teach our regional sales managers how to do what you do? And I said, oh, that's an interesting proposition. I said, give me a couple of weeks. Let me think about that. Let me write a few things down. So I sat down and I said, at that time, I think I was doing this for about 12 or 15 years. And I said, "Uh, what have I learned in the last dozen years or so? about presentation. I mind mapped the whole thing. I came up with 10 modules and then I just started writing. And I, by the time I stopped writing, it was 75 pages. So I turned it into an ebook. I sent it to him and he said, perfect. When can you do this? And I've since delivered that seminar, I don't know, probably 25 or 30 times. So I'm going to attempt to, to cover in, in 45 minutes to an hour, uh, the really the keys to great presentation skills. So, so what, thanks for asking. Yeah, what? Um, so I'm curious. Uh, obviously, you spend a great deal of your time presenting and, and doing uh, doing speaking engagements. You are somebody who should know how to present. Who, besides you, who is the sort of the market? Who could use this information, I guess? Um, like, does a contractor need to know this? Oh, absolutely. You know, the owner of the company, obviously, he's going to be doing presentations. A lot of owners sell, so that's the kind of a no-brainer. But they also talk to their employees on a regular basis. And so they're selling their company constantly. So obviously owners to start with, salespeople, sales managers, and really anybody that's making a presentation. So that can be field foreman. It could be anyone that makes a public presentation. I love my my favorite quote from Patricia Fripp is, you have to understand that once you leave the house, all speaking is public. (laughs) Yeah, well, there you go. Then, Then I guess we all need it, huh? Right, I think so, but that's just me. Yeah, well, it's uh, so anybody who, who's interested in signing up, uh, it's available to all EGIA members. You can go to egia.org slash events, sign up for this. It is, I've, I've heard a number of Mark's seminars, uh, webinars, and they are always well worth the listen. Haha, <laughs> thanks. I think that's the 17th of this month, right? That is indeed April 17th, yeah, at uh, 10 a.m. Pacific time. Excellent. Well, would you like to hear about the Hour of Power, Lucas? I would Absolutely love to hear about the hour of power. I actually had a question though from your from your previous segment, if you don't mind. Yeah. So you talked about the the swimmer Kelsey Warhol. You said yeah. that she measured her leg kicks so she knew how well she was swimming, you know, whether she was on her desired pace, basically whether she win. I would I guess and that jumps out to me because I've always found it easier, a lot easier to accomplish tasks, especially long term tasks. When I sort of set my sights on a shorter term milestones, goals, that sort of thing, so that right. I know even if the long term goal is you know a year off, I'm on the right track, not losing sight. What, so what are, what are some of the sort of parallels to contracting? Like what would a service tech or salesperson or somebody in that regard uh, measure to sort of, you know, illustrate how they're doing in their performance? Well, I'll take, I'll take a personal experience. Uh, when I first started in sales, I, I took a formalized position selling commercial service agreements to office buildings primarily in downtown Seattle. Oh, gosh, this was 1990, so a long time ago. And... <laughs> It was really simple. I, I got back from sales training and and they said, my boss said, just do two proposals a week. And I went, huh, 
Okay. Well, I was given a territory in the South End that nobody wanted, and a you know there was supposedly no business there. And by the end of the year, it was one of the it was the second best territory in the company. The second year was the best. So what I did was I walked into seventy five buildings to get fifty names, to talk to forty people, to do twenty presentations, to close five. That was my first year, and it was just activity. But see, that was the track that I was running on. I took a big goal and I broke it down. I broke it down into smaller goals, right? Well, and here's the thing. I didn't, I didn't do two proposals a week. I did five. I learned that playing basketball. You know, if the coach says practice an hour a day, I practice two. So basketball and sales are very similar in that respect. So you get out what you put in. So it's a track to run on. And then after that, I measured my close ratio. My first year was 25%. My second year was 50. My third year was 75. My last full year, it was 90. And that's, that's really the key. It's, it doesn't matter if you're, you're talking about hockey or basketball or baseball or sales, or if you own the company and you're talking about the bottom line, how are you doing? Give me a number, 10%, 15%, 20%. What's the, what's the close ratio? What's the net profit? Where performance is measured, performance improves. So it's about tracking the things that need to be measured to determine whether you're on track and, and we can predict an outcome. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So measurement is sort of the, the, the North Star, the thing to keep your eye on to make sure you're moving the right direction and, and getting better. Yeah, no question. And then when you tie that to goals, what's fascinating is when you talk about goals, it's, you have to talk about self-image. Self-image is a, is, is a set point on a thermostat in our, in our heads, okay? When I, was, uh, when I was in junior high, I remember the first time I got my report card, it said I had a 2.6 GPA. And my father said, you know, you can do better than that. You're a smart kid. This, you're not really trying. So the next quarter I had a 3.2 and then I had a 3.8. And so that was the first time I remember measuring something, right? And then when, once I got started playing basketball, one of the things they measure is your free throw percentage. And my first year it was 50%. My second year it was 60. My third year it was like 75. And then uh, the rest of the, after that, it was 85% because I shot 100 free throws a day. The point is, it doesn't matter what you're measuring. There's always something you can do to improve it. But you have to measure it where performance is measured, performance improves. And so, Does also, that make sense? Yeah, and so also big men can, in fact, shoot free throws is what you're saying. That's what I'm learning from this. Oh, dude. <laughs> Ignore the myth. Let me t- Right? So I, I went 15 for 15 one game, and, and that was one of those magical moments where, you know, I set the goals – and I visualized a perfect game hundreds of times, and then one day it happened. I didn't miss a single field goal or a single free throw. And, you know, when that happens, you're kind of in the zone. But what, what happens there is your creative subconscious takes over from the conscious process. So I don't remember any of the game. It was just a blur, but I was just operating on autopilot because I'd imagined that particular outcome over and over and over again. Well, visualization is something that I, that I teach and, and still do. I visualize standing ovations. I visualize long lines of the book table. I visualize clients being delighted, applying the ideas and the principles that I teach. And, you know, I get feedback almost every week via email and text saying, you know, the information you share changed my life. So I, I, I know I'm making a difference, but the things I learned, you know, attempting to get good at basketball were the same things that I that applied to business. And, and to this day, it's, it's something I not only teach, but I practice myself, which is a nice segue into what I affectionately call the hour of power. Now, let's assume for a moment that you have a goal that's important, that's more important than all the rest. And I think that's really important, as we talked about in the last segment, one goal at a time. That's really the secret. 
Marcus Aurelius said, very little is needed to make a happy life. It's all within yourself. It's in your way of thinking. It really is true. We become what we think about. Each of these segments kind of fit into each other, into the next one, almost like a puzzle, like a jigsaw puzzle. They're all connected. And by now, I hope you have those five goals that are important to you. If you haven't done so already, please choose one. Going back to Earl Nightingale's advice, settle on the most important one as a kind of a test for 30 days. You see, when I was 14 years old, that's what Bob Moad told me. Try to go for one goal for 30 days. So I've been conducting what I affectionately call the hour of power now for over 10 years. I've taught this simple principle to thousands of people around the globe. The bottom line is it works. The hour of power is actually a simple process. And I don't know if you're a morning person or an evening person. I'm an AM guy. I get up at 5 AM without an alarm. My wife's a PM gal. She doesn't start reading the paper till 11 o'clock at night. So whatever one you are, AM or PM, and you probably know, uh, that's when you want to do your hour of power. So what I do is the first thing in the morning, I rewrite my goal on, a, on the top page of my journal in goal achievement language. Again, as I said before, personal, positive, powerful, and present tense. If you want to be a better time manager, it might sound something like this. I'm a ruthless manager of my time. I'm organized, disciplined, and effective. And then you need to think about the why part of your brain, if you will. The whys pull you to the future, the reasons. We're going back over these goals over and over again because there's something I affectionately call RET, repetition, emotion, and time. It's how we learn anything. And most people, the moment they write down a goal, the first thing they say is, how am I going to do this? And that's the wrong question. The question is, what do you want and why? Don't worry about the how. Uh, Lucas, what kind of car do you drive? Fiat. And what did you have before the Fiat? A Jeep. Wasn't it amazing you went from the Jeep to the Fiat, how many uh, Fiats were on the road? Same color, too. And that first 30 days, you noticed dozens of them. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And the reason you did that is, is something called a reticular activating system. It's a series of web-shaped cells in the back of your brain, and its sole function is to let in profitable data. It's the how part of your brain. So all we need is the what and the why, and that little walnut-shaped uh, membrane in the back of our skull is going to do the rest. So we see fiats everywhere. You see, because once you have a goal, the language, the words, the thing, whatever it is, has pay value. And when we bombard our subconscious with the goal, an amazing thing happens. It's like a, it's a law of accumulation. What ends up happening is eventually we say, oh, there it is. And you're going to start noticing things that you never noticed before. I call it impression, emotion, and repetition equals a new reality. So write the goal out in your journal or say it out loud. Or if you can, get a picture of it. Record it. Listen to it while you're walking around. And slowly, your comfort zone will change, as will your attitude, your behavior, and your habits. People, opportunity, books will start come flowing into your subconscious. Pay attention. Write them down. Act on them. It's like your own personal GPS system. The how is going to come. So that hour of power, the first 20 minutes, I want you to think about the goal. Write it out. Say it. Think about it. Smile. And just wait. Sometimes the answers are going to come. Sometimes nothing. But over time you're gonna start piling up, almost like uh, putting weights on a scale. Eventually, it's gonna tip the scale. So the second 20 minutes is reading a book in alignment with that goal. So if you have a sales goal, you're gonna to wanna to read sales books. If you're a manager and the goal is about managing and improving profitability, you're gonna to wanna to read books on management. If it's fitness and wellness and you wanna lose and 
keep off 20 or 30 pounds than read books on wellness and nutrition. Maybe my new one, Freedom from Fat. I wrote that book because I lost 50 pounds at 10 inches off my waist. The book's fabulous, and it'll help you. It'll give you the key insights you need to, to get and stay fit. And the last 20 minutes is you're going to write down the six most important things you need to do. See, without action, we're just kidding ourselves. It's just a wish. Faith without works is dead, it says in the Old Testament. The hour power is simple, but it isn't easy. So let's assume you have a goal that's important to you, and you've made a decision. You've even written it down. It, the hour of power is about working smarter, not harder. The hour of power is a good new habit. As we've talked about before, good habits are hard to form but easy to live with, and bad habits are easy to form and hard to live with. But if you invest in this hour of power for 30 days, you'll have probably read at least two books, thought about or imagined your goal hundreds of times, and planned your work and worked your plan. This simple habit will change your personal and your professional effectiveness. I had dinner with the late Paul J. Meyer one night. He was a very successful insurance salesman who went on to become a very famous speaker and author. He was a brilliant man and wildly successful, first in insurance, then teaching others how to succeed. He said to me, productivity is never an accident. It's always the result of a commitment to excellence, intelligent planning, and focused effort. My late mentor, Charlie Jones, said, You'll be the same person in five years except for two things, the books you read and the people you meet. Reading books of substance that are in alignment with your goal will accelerate your progress in ways that you can't imagine now. They'll change your awareness, maximize your potential, stretch your comfort zones, and shift your attitudes and allow you to achieve your goals in a fraction of the time. It's almost like cheating in a way. You're getting the answers to the test before the test. Alan Lakin in his fantastic book, Getting Things Done, wrote, Planning is bringing the future into the present so you can do something about it now. So what is the best time for you in your hour of power, a.m. or p.m.? Why not try this as a test for 30 days? In preparing for battle, Dwight Eisenhower said, I've always found that plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. So I want to end with a story. I tell the story a lot in my seminars, and, well, it's one of those stories that... Frankly, uh, I tell my audiences, look, I have really bad news for you. You're not my real customers. My real customers are your children and grandchildren. And then I tell the story. When Colin was eight and Evan was four, I came across this idea of the two questions. So at night when I would read to them and tuck them in and say our prayers, I would follow it up with the two questions. Question number one, what was the most fun you had today? Of all the things you did today, what was the most fun you had? And I followed up after the answer with the second question, what are you looking forward to tomorrow? Now, a lot of parents make the mistake, especially with young, young kids. What did you learn today, Joey? Well, Joey doesn't care about learning. He cares about fun. So you have to ask the right questions. So I did this every night for 30 nights to both Colin, who was eight, and Evan, who was four. And the 31st night, I forgot. I just got busy. I forget what was happening. And Colin comes running downstairs like the house was on fire. He's like, Dad. I said, what, son? He said, you forgot to ask me the two questions. I said, oh, buddy, I'm sorry. What was the most fun you had? What are you looking forward to tomorrow? Now, the genius of the two questions is the first one asks your child to use his memory or her memory. And by forcing them to use their memory, they're accessing a part of their brain that they just don't normally use, especially at a young age. And while they're feeling really good about themselves and those positive emotions are whirling around inside, you drop them into tomorrow with a simple goal. 
a single goal. What are you looking forward to tomorrow? That's all. That's really all it is, is goal setting. But what's going to happen over time is, is you're going to learn more about your kids than you ever thought possible. In fact, you'll learn things you never would have known had you not asked these two questions. I'll give you an example. After a year of doing this, Evan was five. It was Christmas night. All the gifts had been unwrapped and, you know, that that ennui that happens, you know, Christmas night, right? So I said to Evan, what are you looking forward to tomorrow? And he said, playing with the box the refrigerator came in. And I said, excuse me? I said, the box the refrigerator? I mean, you mean the one I gave mom? The she, he said, yeah. I said, what do, you, what do you do with the box? He goes, I'm going to put my sleeping bag in there and spend the night. And I said, like a homeless guy? And he, he said, well, whatever, Dad. He goes, you want to put your sleeping bag in there too? So there we were, a couple of homeless guys in a van down by the river, sleeping in a box the refrigerator came in. Now, here's what's crazy. I never would have known had I not asked that question. Fast forward eight years, Evan's 12. I added a third question. When do you feel the most loved? When do you feel the most appreciated? And he said, when you ask me the two questions at night. You see, we really don't know our kids until we start asking the right questions. And if you turn your kids into positive, powerful little goal setters who feel good about themselves, stand back. And when you combine that with what I affectionately call the Pygmalion principle, what I told my kids was, your future's so bright it burns my eyes. You're gonna go so much farther than I ever did in school, sports, and business. And guess what? They heard it so many times, one day they did. What's fascinating to me is both my boys, the biological son and our adopted son, Larod, they took, they grabbed a hold of this information and just ran with it. Then they set goals and I would see their goals on the dashboard of their car or in their room. And then I would watch, and then I'd watch them systematically go after and achieve them. And you know, I think your kids aren't listening, but they really are. And guess what? For those of you who own companies, you have a bunch of big kids. So these aren't bad questions to ask. What are you looking forward to this weekend? And then on Monday, what was the most fun you had this weekend? Not a bad little strategy. Lucas, any thoughts? Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I mean, so I, I guess what I'm what I'm hearing is that sort of you what you want to do is empower the people around you and and make sure that they know that they're valued. As you said, that's when they that's when your kids felt the most love was when they heard those questions. So in general, as a, as a leader or as part of a group in any way. That's a priority, making sure that people around you always feel valued, and that way they're going to buy in, they're going to put in the most, they're not going to leave you at the first opportunity. There's no question. I can't tell you how many contractors have told me that uh, technicians left, and they, the reason they cited was a uh, dollar more an hour, but that's never the reason people leave. They leave because they're not appreciated, they're not respected, and they're not understood. A-R-U, which is an acronym. If you say it just right, it sounds like R-U. Are you doing this? Are you showing appreciation? Are you showing respect? Are you taking the time to understand? And quite frankly, something as simple as a couple of questions. How was your weekend? What are you looking forward to on a Friday? What are you looking forward to this weekend? And then on Monday, how was your weekend? And if owners just took the time to ask questions and listen, I mean, really listen. And then instead of saying, well, that's nothing, I and launch into you know, a discourse about what they did, now it turns into a competition. If you just keep your focus on the other person. And by the way, whether that's your employees or your wife or your kids, the bottom line is it's not about you. And if you can get in the habit of listening to other people and letting them share their wins with you, their expectations, what they're looking forward to, because quite frankly, most people don't do that. We're all 
looking to talk about what we want to talk about. And it sounds, like, sad. it sounds like what you're saying is that there it's about authenticity too. It's not, don't, don't check off, you know, asking somebody what they're doing this weekend out of obligation and then move along. The point is take an interest in people and let them know that you're taking an interest in them, not pay lip service to something that you don't believe in, but Mark told me to do it. So now I have to do it. Exactly. And, you know, frankly, when you, when you paraphrase somebody's uh, story, say, wow, it sounds like you really had a good time. Well, I'll give you a perfect example in the gym, in the gym yesterday after, uh, after playing basketball, uh, a young man, he's in his thirties. His name is Jim. He approached me and said, Hey, you know, you, my son really, you always, you always make my son smile. He really likes you. And I said, well, thanks. He's a nice kid. He's like five years old, right? A five-year-old are my best audience. Right. <laughs> and I said, well, uh, how was your weekend? And he said, Oh, I took, I took my son to the NASCAR and we got to, we got to ride a friend of mine, a client of mine. He said, well, he let us ride around in the pace car. I said, Oh my gosh, what a memory that was for him. He said, oh, you can't, he, he was so excited. We took pictures and I said, hey, he's going to remember that for the rest of his life. I said, That's, that was a moment. He said, it was a moment. And I kept a spotlight on him the whole time. See, it would have been easy to say, well, that's nothing. One time at band camp, I, and then launch into some story about my kids. But I didn't do that. I kept the spotlight on Jim and on his son. And when we do that, there's a glow that comes from the people that we talk to. And it's all it is is improv. I'm reading a book by uh, Alan Alda, and he's basically teaching uh, improv to scientists, right? It's about improving communication and relationships, but improv is simple. It's yes and versus no but. So yes and is just a function of observing and acknowledging and heightening and keeping the focus on the other person. And when you get in the habit of doing that and you do it over time, the no but, the competition, the selfishness, the ego kind of just falls by the wayside. And so that's really what we're talking about is yes and, and just habitualizing that and making the focus on other people. Yeah, and I think what you said about the, I've, you know, I've heard so many people say to me, two friends of mine or something, that they left a, a company for something like a dollar an hour, like you said, and it's like, yeah, that's all about feeling valued. A dollar an hour is what, there's 2,080 hours in an HR year, so about $2,000 divided by 1,250, $160, $170 a month before taxes. Right. That's nothing. That's no, nobody's really leaving for that. They're leaving for exactly what you're saying for kind of interpersonal reasons. Right. And I don't know if I told the story before, but I have a client who puts sticky notes for his technicians and uh, he puts them on the invoices that they gets back if he needs additional information. And they say things like, you rock. Having you on our team is the reason we're crushing it. I'm so glad you're on our team. And just simple, right? A single sentence. And he said one day he went down to the shop and this one particular technician's uh, locker was open, and here's all the sticky notes he'd written over the last six months. They were on the inside of the locker. He hadn't thrown a single one away. Wow, yeah, yeah, and that, and that I mean, every day that's, that shows you exactly how valued you are, right? And I guess the point also is, if that's not you, if you're not, a, if you're like, oh, I, well, I could never write somebody a sticky note, you're not telling somebody they have to write somebody a sticky note, right? You're saying, find what makes sense to you to show somebody that they have value. Yeah, and this this particular guy thought sticky notes were a good idea. It was something like he had handy. Yeah, it's such a simple concept. Now, here's the problem with just words. If I tell you, Lucas, you know, your future's so bright it burns my eyes, uh, that's going to stick with you for a little while, but 15 minutes later you get in your car and you drive down the road and some guy cuts you off on I-5 and that's it. You, know, you forgot all about the words. They're frost on a windshield. But if I put it down in writing, whether it's a text, an email, 
I prefer the pen and the ink. So a handwritten note or a sticky note or a postcard, they don't get thrown away. They get saved. The palest ink is better than the strongest memory. So more than words, as the 80s hairband extreme would say, is what you're saying. Yes, I love that song. <laughs> well, my friend, it looks like we've come to the close of another podcast. Next, uh, next session, we'll talk about the difference between a job, a career, and a calling. Can't wait. Well, that'll do it for today's episode. As always, visit egia.org slash podcast. Find this episode, an archive of previous episodes, the online form to submit your questions for our mailbag segment, and links to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and Google Play app, and a link to the latest EGIA snapshot survey. For more information about EGIA membership, visit www.egia.org slash join. I'm Mark Madison. Thanks for letting me play in your sandbox. I'll see you next time.